Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm very pleased to welcome to the program today one of the top content creators for the extraordinarily influential PragerU, Will Witt. How are you, Will? Good. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much. So first thing I wanted to ask you about, Will, is how did you find your way to PragerU and how long have you been there? Yeah, it's actually quite the story. You know, a lot of kids go to college and they become liberals. I actually was the opposite way. I went to college and became a conservative. So I grew up in Colorado my entire life. That's where I'm from. And then I went to the University of Colorado Boulder and I became a conservative there when I saw just how terrible they were to anyone with a different point of view. I mean, I was an English major, which is a useless degree. And I was in my sociology class intro and there's a black girl sitting next to me and the TA, she points at me and she says, you are oppressing this girl because of the color of your skin. And to me, that just didn't make any sense. You know, even though I was a liberal and atheist my entire life and I'd heard these things, I, something just wasn't right. You know, I didn't feel like I was oppressing this girl. And so I started just researching things and figuring things out. And eventually I realized that I'm a conservative. It ended up being the girl I was dating at the time, ended up being a huge Hillary Clinton supporter. She would get mad at me calling me a Trump supporter as an insult. We didn't last very long, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> then eventually I found out about PragerU and I started watching all of their five-minute videos. I probably binged watched every single video in about a week. I joined PragerForce, which was our student program, and I decided to make a video for PragerForce. So I went on my campus. I asked students what they thought about the wage gap, all girls, and they thought they were you know, super oppressed and not getting paid enough. And then I taught myself how to edit the video, shoot the video, send it to PragerU. They loved it and actually ended up posting the video. And then Craig, our chief mar marketing officer, called me up and offered me a job. So after two years of college in Colorado, I dropped out, moved to Los Angeles with no money, not knowing anyone to come and do this. So that was about three and a half years ago now. So been doing this for a while and it's just been, it's just been great. I also went to school just down the road from you, but uh, it was not quite as liberal as Boulder. Uh, I went to the Air Force Academy. And, oh, well, that's uh, definitely more conservative over in the Springs. Yeah. A little different. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, beautiful area out there. I didn't appreciate oh, yeah. it as much while I was in the Blue Zoo, but I, yeah. I think it's a beautiful place. It is. Well, obviously, other than Dennis Prager, can you tell us who are some of your mentors who have influenced you? Yeah, one of my biggest mentors is actually, I mentioned him a little bit before, but Craig Strazeri, he's going to get a laugh at me saying this, but he's the <laughs> chief marketing officer at PragerU and he's just so knowledgeable and knows exactly what he's talking about. And when it comes to getting my content out there and, and building a brand for myself, he knew exactly what to do. And I don't think I'd be nearly as successful or PragerU in general wouldn't be as successful without Craig. Craig has been, you know, in a lot of ways, a father figure to me with some things and always the most helpful. So he's been really my biggest mentor. And then in terms of political thought, obviously Dennis Prager on on so many things, as well as uh, Jack Hibbs, if you're familiar with Jack Hibbs, yes. uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. He was gracious enough to let me premiere my movie at his church and plan a whole event with him. He's given me, he baptized me actually just a, a couple of months ago. So That's he's awesome. been a huge mentor to me and, and just an amazing, amazing guy. That's super. Now, a lot of our listeners will, of course, have seen your videos. You talk to students on campuses or as the late, great 
Rush Limbaugh would call them campi. I watch your interactions with these students. You post them online and I'm just amazed, Will, by their lack of awareness of some basic unchanging realities, or as I call them on this program, the core principles. I'm also sort of dismayed that so many of them seem to resent or even to hate this country, America. Uh, How do you suppose they got that way? Well, I think that we had, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, we had, you know, the sexual revolution movement. We had all these hippies in America coming out, you know, anti-war, anti-capitalist. I mean, this is when it really started to take hold. Then you had the climate change movement, Malthusianism, all these different things. And now all of those young people who grew up then are now professors at universities. They're now in the education department of, of the government. They're in bureaucracy. They're in lobbying groups. I mean, they, they control all of these different sectors of America and thus put their influence in there. You know, what I've been saying this recently about how culture in America has been completely centralized. You know, back in the day there in Aurora, Colorado is where where I'm from. You know, there might've been like an Aurora town newspaper, something like that. Right. And you would get your values and your culture from these local organizations, these local people in your community or church, whatever. And now everyone gets ads, everyone gets their news from the exact same place. And it's some UC Berkeley blue haired grad who's deciding your values and your culture from some high rise in San Francisco, you know, so you're not getting those values and that culture from these, these communities that are, that are nearby or actually have anything to really do with your life. And that's a huge problem. So when you decentralize or when you centralize everything in culture, and then you put people who hate you and hate your values in positions of power, you're going to get this situation where every single young person in America is brainwashed unless really they watch PragerU videos. You know, that, that's a lot of uh, wisdom in a brief statement there, Will. I'm impressed. Uh, and I hadn't heard it expressed quite that way, the centralization of our cultural influences. But I see that happening, and that, that's a good way to put it. These young people that you speak with on the campuses, they are, in many cases, I think, very intelligent people. But they remain ignorant, which is completely different, of so many important things. Do you have hope that they will become aware of this and change that? Or you think that they're being more and more entrenched into that rejection of reality? Well, I do think they're being more and more entrenched, but I also have hope. You know, I was someone who, when I was a senior in high school, I worked for a Democrat senator. You know, I was one of her her staffers. I was not just an atheist. I was anti-God. You know, and now I'm a baptized Christian living my life in a completely different way. So, so much can change just if people get the right information. Because again, the the convictions that they have is about this deep. It's incredibly shallow. So when I press them with a lot of the questions I do, their minds can open up and change so quickly because they don't actually understand the basis of the arguments they're making. They have no idea. So I have a lot of faith that we can change people's minds, but it's really about having brave people who are willing to go out there and talk to people. If everyone thinks, you know, I'm too scared to go and talk to people or whatever it is, then these people aren't ever going to have their views challenged. It's the most important thing that people have to do. That's a good word. And I will ascribe some bravery to you. I I watched the video on Valentine's Day where you wore a MAGA hat and had a sign, (laughs) will you be my Valentine? And that was hilarious. And the, the, the cougar, if I can call her that, uh, who came up and said, yeah, I'll be your Valentine. You're kind of cute. I just laughed and laughed, but, uh, she had some wisdom. Yes. Uh, well, all right. So this is audio only this podcast, but, uh, folks watching your videos, uh, 
some of the young ladies would probably say, yeah, I guess Will is kind of cute. Well, <laughs> Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, two guys who wouldn't seem to have a lot in common, but really do because they both value liberty. Uh, they made a documentary feature called No Safe Spaces, and uh, it's about the situation at colleges and universities in America. It's really chilling to see how resistant some of the young people are to any ideas that challenge their minds or challenge their preconceptions. How do you think we can best encourage young people, particularly, to challenge our own minds and accept information and concepts that we didn't come up with ourselves? Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, though, you know, because even like as a conservative and a Christian, like a lot of the values that I hold that I espouse, I mean, those are critical to who I am as a person. My conservative values, they influence my life. My Christian values, they influence my life. So these people have replaced religion and conservatism with leftism. So that is technically their life. It defines their purpose. It defines how they act in the real world. So it's very difficult. Of course, many of these kids, if you don't talk to them in a way that is conducive to a good conversation, then of course they're going to get incredibly violent. They're going to get incredibly mad. They're going to want to destroy things or destroy you. So the number one thing, I mean, this is, I'm actually, I just finished writing my book. It's going to be coming out in the fall, which is very cool, but it's essentially uh, like a guide for how people can ask questions in the right ways to make it so you're not having arguments, you're having conversations. And so that you're actually getting people to be on the defensive with your questions and have their minds open up by the questions. I, you know, I've been doing this for three years now, asking people on the street things and there is no better way to change someone's mind than you asking them a question because then they have to explain their rationale back to you. If you're telling them what to think, they're never going to change their mind because also, first of all, it's too aggressive. Second of all, they just don't want to talk to you. But if you ask them the questions and make it so they have to explain it back to you, you can do a lot of good. It really is the most important thing. I know it sounds basic. It sounds simple. Just ask questions, but it takes a lot of practice to be good at it. And it's also just so successful. That is good. It's encouraging. Do you have a title for that book coming out this fall? Yeah, it's kind of a, a play off of the old Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. This is How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. So That's how to good. change people's minds and, and all of that. So really looking forward to it. That's good. Well, me too. I'll uh, definitely want to pick up a copy and read it. Maybe I'll interview this time next year about your book and that'll be awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> so an extension of this sort of intolerance that we've seen on the campuses is this kind of pervasive attitude among what I'll call left-wing ideologues uh, that people who disagree with their worldview aren't really to be defeated in debate, but are to be silenced and even harmed. Now, typically the harm they seek is financial, not like physical, but it's definitely real. Uh, they really want people to suffer if they don't agree. And the term people are banding for this is cancel culture. I'd just like to hear your thoughts, Will Witt, on this phenomenon of cancel culture. Yeah, well, cancel culture is, it reminds me of the IRS. It's a political tool, you know, going and auditing someone who you disagree with. That's basically what that has become. And that's exactly what cancel culture is. Cancel culture is someone coming and saying something that you disagree with. And so instead of battling their ideas, you say this person shouldn't be allowed to speak. I mean, it truly is like an Orwellian type of system where people are getting canceled left and right. But what I've seen recently, which is some hope, is that 
people are starting to take cancel culture a lot less seriously. You know, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. It's when you call everyone racist, you call everyone these things, you call it for everyone to be canceled, then it starts to not hold very much meaning anymore. So I think we are seeing a little bit of a change in cancel culture. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, that's just what I've been seeing. And I think that getting rid of cancel culture is the best thing we can do. Yeah, maybe it becomes easy to parody the, the cancel yeah. culture when the target's of the past week or so have been Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss. So I just, I never knew growing up that these fun rhymes from Dr. Seuss were subversive and trying to make me hate people. I never got that. And uh, whoever it was did their doctoral thesis or whatever dissertation and said, oh, look, here's six Seuss books that have racist undertones. They saw something I didn't see. In fact, I'm not a meme creator, but I made one, one time that uh, hopefully Disney and Lucasfilm won't sue me for, but it, it took two images from uh, the Empire Strikes Back where Yoda was training Luke on planet Dagobah and Luke has to go into the dark, scary place, you know, and he says to Yoda, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. And I think that that's happening. Uh, we see that like these people who want so much for there to be oppression and repression, they bring it with them and they say, Oh, look, these six Dr. Seuss books are overtly racist. Nobody else noticed, but look, <laughs> and so they want to cancel Dr. Seuss. And I think then that makes it where it's more easily ridiculed and people can say, you see how silly this whole thing is. And maybe that'll turn it around, but it's ironic too. I'm not sure, uh, Will, if you observe this, but I think, a lot of people on the left sort of lack a sense of irony. They're so serious about their, their political views because, they, as you noted, they have become sort of their life views, their worldview, their religion itself. I remember back uh, when Martin Scorsese made this movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, and it offended a lot of people because the premise was that Jesus was a sinful man like the rest of us. And of course, we Christians reject that pretty hard because that's anti-Christian view. So a lot of people said, well, we should maybe boycott this movie, Last Temptation of Christ. Well, liberals at the time said, well, that's so small-minded, that's so wicked to boycott anything ever. But now everything that's being canceled is truly, that's what they're about, is boycotting people who disagree. It's, it's ironic. Right. I am myself. I am actually, I'll say I'm, I'm actually a big fan of boycotting. I think that if a company, some major corporation, Coca-Cola, Nike, whatever it is, if that company doesn't support your values, they technically in a lot of ways hate you. They hate your values. I mean, put your money where your mouth is and don't buy their products anymore. You know, so mass boycotting, I think can be a very successful tool. I think that, and I don't think that that's the same as canceling either. You know, canceling would be more akin to, to, trying to destroy someone's reputation based on it. Whereas a boycott is more of telling the company that you don't agree with what they're doing. I do get that. I, I haven't seen a lot of success in those things and uh, full disclosure, yeah. uh, the, the foundation I work with, uh, most of the money that we're giving away in charity was raised back uh, from 1903 to the late fifties and sixties uh, selling Coca-Cola. So uh, I am very dismayed at how woke some of their trainers have become trying to teach 
people that work for Coca-Cola that they should be ashamed of their skin color if it's not a certain pigment. That That's obviously yeah. ridiculous and foolish. But, uh, but uh, one of the, the big examples that I've seen lately of this canceling people goes back to Disney and Star Wars. Gina Carano is a popular character in this really great uh, Star Wars property called Mandalorian. And because, apparently, she didn't want to put personal pronouns into her Twitter bio and she put little sound effects instead. People are like, well, you got to fire her. And apparently they did. (laughs) And that's, that's crazy. I think that one is going to also change things because apparently uh, the showrunner and director is on her side. Like don't ruin her just because you disagree with her not wanting to put pronouns, but we'll see how it turns out. Well, Will, you did a, uh, a fascinating short video about biological males competing in female sports. Now that's a growing concern among a lot of athletes and parents, and even some of us uh, random citizens who favor reality to unreality. Could you summarize for us some of the main things that you learned about that particular problem and uh, what are the key things people should be aware of if they're not? Key things about that problem is that these people are not biological females. You are putting people who have total differences in their biology of a man versus a female. I mean, to anyone with half a brain, it should be pretty obvious that they are not the same, you know, and that doesn't mean that one is worse than the other one's better than the other. It just means that they have differences. You know, women have their strengths, men have their strengths, but to try and put them into the same sport just doesn't make any sense. If, if, if they were really women, then they wouldn't be dominating all of the races that women are going into, right? Like some of these people, there's one about a, a Selena Sewell who I interviewed, who was a, a track star in Connecticut, I believe. And the boy who transitioned to be a female to race against her couldn't even qualify, I think, to be on the varsity team in the boys team. So then he became a female, did the whole transition, and then won in, in the female league. It just goes to show the differences between the two genders. And it's a horrible thing. You know, it's Women's History Month now. And instead of celebrating like great things that women have done throughout history, throughout the ages, we're celebrating men essentially taking over women's sports. It's a terrible thing. So definitely not something I agree with and definitely something that I think is a common sense value that people on the left and the right should come together on. They have to stop bending over backwards to virtue signal for these people and actually take a stand against it. That's good. And you bring up that term virtue signaling. That's the kind of thing that Coca-Cola and some of these other big companies do a lot is say, hey, look at us. We're so woke. We're so enlightened. Uh, but really, you can get to the point where you're so open-minded, your brain kind of falls out. There, there has to be some reason and some reality and some science. Uh, I'm an engineer by my educational background, and so I like science, and I like the fact that science is just observation. And there's no conflict between faith and science to me because observation of reality reveals what God has created. And in fact, in the creation account, tying right back to the topic we're talking about, Genesis chapter 1, God created humans in his own image, male and female, he created them. Well, that's not just scripture and that's not just creation account. That is science too. I mean, there's X and Y chromosomes in every cell of every person's body and they are indicative and even determinative of that fact. But the party of science seems to reject that pretty hard. I don't, I don't get it. So talking about those uh, two genders, I watched your interview with students where you asked them a simple question, how many 
genders are there? And I watched the entire video, Will Witt, and I was hoping there would be at least one person that would say two. Nobody said two. Now, did you edit out anybody saying two, or did really nobody say two genders? We were at UC Berkeley, so the fact that people didn't say infinite, that not every kid said infinite, was surprising to us. So yeah, <laughs> we actually, there at that campus, we didn't get anyone who said two genders. It was, it was quite wild. And it was funny because the New York Times was there too. And the New York Times was filming us do that for a piece that they wrote about me and PragerU. Mm. And they were, you know, watching us film this whole thing and they weren't sure what these kids were going to say. And I was like, I'm pretty sure what they're going to say already. <laughs> so it was just funny that that happened that way. But it, yeah, it was ridiculous. And it was odd to see them strain to come up with a number that if those didn't say infinite and they're like, I think the number is 113. Now they wanted to be correct. They wanted to be like. I'm going to leave somebody out if I'd say 113 and it's 114. They were struggling. That, that yeah, one really be intolerant. Yeah, that one really blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you also, uh, different topic, but you interviewed a bunch of uh, students about minimum wage, and that's a current topic in the Congress. I loved the way that you sort of egged them on if they said, well, it ought to be 15, and you're like, well, I think 25 is even better. See how high you could get them. Uh, that was something that Rush Limbaugh used to say would be an effective approach as well. But did any of the students you talked to even hint that they understood this principle that the, the central government doesn't have a say in private sector wages? No, none of the students really came across that way. It was, but at the end of the interviews, a lot of them did, you know, a lot of them started to realize after I talked to them that, wow, maybe this isn't totally right. Maybe these people shouldn't have control over the wages or maybe even raising the wage is a bad idea. So again, going back to the questions thing and the way you just set up how I asked those questions, I mean, really, you can change these people's minds on these things if you just ask them in the right way. Yes. And once it becomes their own idea, then it sticks just like uh, that great Christopher Nolan movie, Inception. Yeah, uh, great. An idea. Yes, yep. that's right. Love that movie. So the PragerU videos, like the ones you make and the five-minute videos, which are the staple there at PragerU that you mm-hmm. uh, that transformed your mind, um, those are viewed by millions of people. And the reaction by leftists who are trying to silence PragerU seems to indicate that they have an impact. And I know they had an impact on you. Uh, do you all have ways, metrics, to measure how the the PragerU videos impact people? Yes, we do. On a lot of our videos, we have surveys about all these kind of things that people answer. So, I mean, lots of times people are seeing our videos for the first time. I mean, I think it was close to 70% of people who watched one of our videos change their mind on an issue. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing the impact that we're having, especially with the amount of views. I mean, we're reaching 4 billion views now total lifetime which is amazing. My videos are at about 600 million views. So the, the impact that we're having, it, it's hard to quantify. You know, I, I, like this was, I was at an event a little while ago and I met some kid and, you know, I'd never met this kid before in my life or never heard of him. And he just comes up to me and is like, you know, your videos completely changed my life, turned me into a conservative. Like they did everything for me. And I can't quantify that when I'm on social media or out making a video. But when I actually talk to people face to face and they tell me these things, it's, it's hard to imagine that there aren't millions of other people exactly like that, that PragerU is impacting that way. Well, that is super. And that's got to be a real encouragement. I know anyone who's out there doing any kind of job and when they get some feedback that somebody says, 
what you produce, what you do, the service you provide, whatever it is you're doing, uh, had a positive impact on me. That has got to be one of those things that you're like, all right, I'm going to keep this up. I, I really need to hear that somebody appreciated I mean, with this. All the, with all the hate I get and everything to hear those kind of things, is, it's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me making the videos, making the content, educating people, all of it. Well, I'm, I'm glad somebody would take the time to go ahead and say that to you that, uh, because that takes some braveness on their part as well. They're yeah. probably still associating with a lot of folks who are like, huh, what is wrong with you kid? But, uh, that's good. That's really good to know. And it's, it's a life lesson too, you know, uh, just going to a restaurant and, uh, the, the person serving the food is really kind. It's, it's really a great thing to just say, Hey, I appreciate you. And uh, obviously to give a generous tip, but that, that lifts people up uh, just to know that what they're doing has a positive impact. So I'm glad that uh, you're getting some of that feedback too, and that you have this perspective that, yeah, there are other people out there. They haven't said so, but they, they are out there. That's good. Yeah. Well, along those lines, uh, what, what hope can you give to our listeners that uh, your generation, particularly Will Witt, is going to embrace actual reality like that and is uh, going to abandon this sort of fantasy world that we see a lot of them occupying? I think I'm, I'm kind of negative and positive on this one where I see a state like California. That's where I live here in Los Angeles and things continue, continually get worse. Things continue to get worse. But even as things continue to get worse, leftists here move out of the state, right? So even they realize these things are going awry in this place. So I think, in my opinion, that things are going to continue to get worse until they get better. They're going to reach some sort of breaking point where things are going to be rock bottom for a lot of people. And then things are going to get better when they realize the conservative way of life is the way that provides for a successful country, a successful state, successful family, whatever it might be. So that's kind of my view on this. But I think that there is a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of people who are willing to stand up and fight for what they believe in nowadays. I think a lot more than there were five years ago. I mean, hundreds of thousands of more, millions more probably. And that's a beautiful thing when you have people who are ready to, to say what they believe in. Now, if we could only get the, the people who are conservatives but in the closet to say what they believe in, that's, that's our next step. That's really good. And you know, as you were telling me that, I was thinking President Trump actually contributed to that in a positive way because he spoke his mind and people hated him for it. And he's like, you know what? I, I'm going to say what I believe to be true. And I'm going to tell you, I want to make America the place I know it can be and resent me all you want. And, and he was bold about it. And in my view, he was, uh, one of our true public servants, didn't even, uh, keep his salary, uh, just wanted to do some work, took a whole lot of verbal abuse from a whole lot of people who had no idea of his responsibilities. And I think he did it just because he loves America. So I think that you are in that mold where you're, uh, you're really just seeing a need and trying to meet it. And so I salute you for that. Uh, what's next on the horizon for Will Witt? What, what are some topics you're going to be bringing up as you make some more of your content for PragerU? Definitely. I mean, the, the, the book is definitely the number one thing on my mind right now. That's what I've been working on every night for the past six months. And that's going to cover basically every topic. And it's hard to say what the next big thing is going to be because the left pushes for a lot of stuff so 
sporadically whenever some politician brings something up or, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what's going to go on. I think illegal immigration is probably going to be the next thing that's really going to pop up for us to, to really take a deeper look at. But it's hard to tell. I just know that no matter what that issue is, no matter what the left comes on and say, I'm going to be ready to fight against it. Well, that's very good. And we're cheering you on. Thank you so much, Will Witt, for being on Core Principles today. And uh, God bless you. God bless you too, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.